everybody. Welcome to another All the WrestleManias, the podcast. I'm your co-host, Tim Hackman. And I'm your co-host, Rich Sigwald. And we're happy to be back in the studio again today with you. We hope you enjoyed our most recent episode. We called it Profiles in Badassery, focusing on the acts and the smash, uh, the men of demolition. We had a good time recording that one. Hopefully you got uh, got some enjoyment out of listening to us recount their um Reign of Brutality and their awesome, awesome theme music that we still can't stop talking about, honestly. That may have been my favorite episode that we've recorded. It was so much fun to just read about those guys and learn about how there are two good, solid mid-carters and they came together and became superstar talent out of the, through the roof together. And everything about them was just so great. And then getting to watch that 1989 special dedicated to them was also great. So I take, I highly recommend taking a listen. Yeah. We're, we're a little biased. We think our, all our episodes are awesome, but I enjoyed that one quite a bit too. Some of the episodes we have coming up for you, we're going to look at wrestle war 89. Rich has a popcorn match on classical music and wrestling. That's sort of installment two of that series. So that'll be coming out. Uh, we had a listener request for Super Brawl 3. Uh, and I think we're also going to take a look at the Clash of the Champions, uh, which, you know, I think was set up specifically as kind of competition for WrestleMania. So that'll be a nice exercise and compare and contrast. And then, of course, we're going to continue with our trek through wrestlemania history which is where we're picking up today with wrestlemania 22 um, but before we get to that we actually had a um item from uh, of listener mail we had a facebook message from manu um, so thanks very much manu for sending the question to us it came through our facebook page you can just find it at all the wrestlemanias it's very easy to search and find there's also an all the wrestlemanias round table that we've created where you can sort of have discussions with fellow fans and get into fights if you want to um respectfully you know of course um anyway so manu wants to know what our hall of fame picks are for 2023 who we would put at the top of the list for the guys and gals that were definitely should be on their way in do you have any in mind rich that you definitely wanted to talk about there well yeah i mean this this question came about because of us uh railing that uh demolition is not in the wwe hall of fame and they damn well deserve to be there the five that i came up with uh, was Lex Luger. Lex was an NWA champ. He was a big integral part of the Monday Night Wars. He was the first person to leave WWF to go to WCW and showed up unannounced at the very first episode of Nitro. So he's not just like a great wrestler, held titles and stuff like that, but he was also a key figure in one of the biggest uh, times in pro wrestling. Uh, the next person I had on the list was Triple H as an individual performer. Uh, Triple H went in as a member of DX, but he probably should go in as an individual performer at this point. Even though neither one of us have been a huge fan of his work, there has to be something to be said about how long he was in WWF active and how much time he spent at the top of the card and not just because he married the boss's daughter. <laughs> Then for me, the next one, and they always do like a celebrity induction, and that celebrity to me should be Cindy Lauper. Uh, Cindy was huge with the rock and wrestling connection, which really helped kick off WrestleMania and kick the WWF into pop culture mainstream. 
and got Lou Albano in front of people and stuff like that. And Lou is in there, but Cindy's not. And that's heartbreaking. Yeah, that's not cool. And then the, I also had a women's wrestler on here and that's Bull Nakano. She was the primary challenger to Alundra Blaze. She had a long tenure in WWF, was champion. And she was also a uh, big time in other wrestling promotions, which the WWE Hall of Fame clearly now celebrates other wrestling promotions because like we mentioned in our last episode on demolition there's tag teams in there that never wrestled in a wwf ring but they're in the hall of fame and then my final choice and uh this podcast is a huge fan of is mike rotunda uh slash irs whoop whoop I don't think we need to really go in depth as to why he deserves to be there, but the dude's a badass and the dude was talented and skilled and definitely worked and did whatever was needed to help the company and put other people over uh, that deserves to be rewarded. Yeah. Mike Rotunda made my list as well. I know we were trying not to duplicate too much, but he's, you know, an outstanding talent. Um, his IRS, you know, gimmick and the ter- teaming up with Ted DiBiase um, money Inc. That whole that whole storyline was such a big deal um, at the time when it was around. The uh, my one of my other picks is sort of related there, and that is Barry Windham. So I think Barry Windham is in as one of the horsemen, but he is not in as a solo performer. And he, of course, and Mike Rotunda were the U.S. Express. They performed at the very first WrestleMania as U.S. Express. He's an outstanding talent. You know, I don't know what exactly the rules are about solo versus tag teams versus stables, etc. But he definitely needs to be recognized. So that brings me to my women's pick, and that is Luna Vachon. Uh, she was a major presence at a number of WrestleManias, um, as well, of course, uh, at the King of the Ring when, uh, you know, Art Donovan famously asked, what's that woman yelling about over there? Um, <laughs> that, was a, that was a great moment. But she was always super scary, super intense. Um, we watched the uh, the AWA one. She was in the Women's Battle Royal. She was like, she and Sherry were like turned up to 11. Everybody else was at a three or a four. And she could work too. Yeah, she was tough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my other one uh, is Rick Martell. I don't believe Mr. Martell is in there. Again, for a number of reasons, I think he deserves to be in there as tag team champion with Tito Santana and Strike Force, and then his solo work as the model. You know, of course, we are constantly uh, running him down because of his betrayal of Tito Santana, and we will still haven't forgiven him. Um, for that but he had some really great feuds with jake the snake blinded him and they had the blindfold match at wrestlemania just a really solid athletic guy super you know a big personality uh, a good nice talent so it'd be nice to see him recognized and then my last one is bam bam bigelow another guy that was just Mm. could work his ass off um you know one of the first i think big men that we saw who could actually really get up and move you know and he did that he had that moonsault and he was he was he was almost sort of a different breed of big man wrestler and kind of paved the way for um some other guys like him so those would be my five after of course demolition uh, and i would also agree that lex luger should make the cut here sooner rather than later but if you have your own picks you disagree with any of these you think there's some that were just like 
totally missing out on, you know where to find us. We're at all the You can tweet at us at WrestleMania pod. You can shoot us an email at all the WrestleManias at gmail.com. And of course, like Manu did, you can find us on Facebook and send us a message that way. We'd love to hear your picks and maybe we can revisit those in a future episode. So the other wrestling thing going on is uh, last night, that was the 29th of May, was uh, AEW's Double or Nothing pay-per-view from Las Vegas. They've been hyping this one. It's one of their big annual ones. It was one of the first ones that they did, I believe, when they started. So this is like the fourth yeah. Double or Nothing. Um, the main event was Adam Hangman Page against CM Punk, and that was widely anticipated, I think. I know. So Rich didn't watch it. Um, nope. He he did catch up on the results. Uh, I'm poor. Uh, I'm not going <laughs> to. I'm poor and I have a small child. I'm not paying $50 for a pay-per-view that I'm going to get to watch like an hour of. Maybe. Yeah. And it is. It is So it's really expensive and it's super fucking long. Uh, it started at seven with pre-show stuff and there was one match in that pre-show bit and then so i finally i started it last night and then i i just i couldn't make it i think i made maybe three or four matches um before i fell asleep but i will say that i really liked the conclusion of the wardlow mjf thing um you know i know we've heard some stuff about mjf and his contract and being cranky with tony and i'm not entirely sure what's happening there or what's going to happen there I'm pretty certain that was all the work of him. Like, I hope I have this feeling that Tony Khan is actually going to end up being in a storyline here soon with MJF. Hmm. I just, it just feels like that, that that's about to happen because I now who's MJF going to really pick on. Like he just had his valet of three years break up, and we've had the conclusion of that whole feud. You got to put him in a, either a belt run or he needs to be openly fighting with the with the owner of the company. And Tony Khan needs to become a character on screen. Yeah, I mean, I think that it makes sense, probably, in terms of where else are they going to go? I don't know that anybody really wants to see Tony Khan on screen. He is super uncomfortable. On camera. No, I think <laughs> I think what they need to do in AEW. And I think this is I think this is something that Jim Cornette has said, and I agree with him. Uh, not that like I'm on the same level as Jim Cornette, but uh, I think it's a really great idea that they need a figurehead for the company to be on screen, kind of like how Jack Tunney was, quote unquote, president of the WWF and how like Raw and SmackDown used to have general managers and stuff like that. There needs to be someone there that like people can like go to the vent their frustrations and like get match and set the matches and stuff like that and not just tony khan signing the contract for a match to happen at the pay-per-view or something but they need like someone that can come out with mic skills interfere with things mess with things tinker with things and be like the face of the company yeah i would love that i was really hoping they would go that direction with william regal um, when he came out of course he's sort of gotten tied up in this blackpool fight club bullshit but there's still time maybe he can get sick and tired of those guys and pull back and become more of another figure or maybe you know who else who else is kicking around that could fill in that role i'm sure there's some older guys i mean tully blanchard is free now yeah the big show's not really doing anything no he's on, he's on the youtube show yeah that'd be that'd be interesting too uh but i i would want to get someone with really good mic skills i mean teddy long's probably floating around out there somewhere yeah. too you bring him in and look he here can... player. <laughs> the undertake wait I can't yeah, call him no. here. I can't. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. Um, the so the matches. The, so I liked that MJF thing. I really liked Thunder Rosa's um, big match for the for the belt. I love Serena Deeb. 
Yeah, they're both so good. It was a, it was a great match. There's a few awkward moments, um, but it's they do a lot of really good back and forth kind of technical stuff. That one's worth watching. And then the main event, which of course again, Hangman versus CM Punk. I don't, you know, um, I don't really like the way that one ended. I feel like it it kind of boxes them into some stuff that uh, I, I think if they had gone a different direction, that they would have a few more options um yeah they could have dragged that feud out to november uh, to their next i think is when their normal next big pay-per-view is and i uh full gear i think they could have dragged this feud out for that they could have had like hangman turn fully heel and get disqualified to keep the belt and uh cm punk feels like he's been screwed over because that's always cm punk's thing anyway that he's been screwed over and just keep and keep building that tension that's my biggest complaint with the AEW is that they just don't build tension and they don't they always just resolve things the next week and move yeah. on yeah they blow everything off almost immediately um versus you know we get into this wrestlemania 22 card there's a angle on here of the one with um let's see mickey james and trish stratus that was running for like I looked it up. It ran for like nine months or something like that on Raw, yeah. um, which which is insane if you think about it in terms of today's wrestling. They just don't do that anymore. I mean WWE does, but that's because nothing ever happens on WWE. It's just the same like six people fighting each other over and over again. Yeah, I I legitimately thought they were going to go with the uh, Hangman does gets down and dirty and gets himself disqualified and then is, is a full on heel. But we'll, you know, we'll see, we'll see where they go and reunites with the young bucks. That's, I mean, that's what you do. That's what you do. Right. I don't, oh. I, I, I don't know. Get the young bucks, like get the people to back off on their go away heat by putting hangman with them again, because people just want the young bucks to go away. Yeah, I certainly do. Anyway, all right, so that's all the latest and greatest. I guess we should probably get to WrestleMania 22. Well, um, I have one more gripe about it. Uh-oh. About yeah, it. Uh, fire away. My only gripe, but we don't need to discuss it, is like, why do you have two heels win the Owen Hart tournaments? Yeah, and then stand up there like to get everybody's applause uh, You know, with the beloved widow of a, one of the most beloved wrestlers of all time. It didn't right. make any fucking sense. You destroy all of their heat by doing that. Are you going to turn Adam Cole and Britt Baker face off of this? Or are they just going to go back as if none of this ever happened? Which, honestly, that's how AEW is probably going mm-hmm. to do it. That this never happened. And Adam Cole is going to go back to being an underweighted douchebag. And Britt <laughs> Baker is going to go back to being an awesome wrestling bitch. That's... What do you, I don't, I don't know. It's like as if the, this tournament never is going to happen. And that's going to be sad that they could have really picked up some steam for somebody and got them going over big time off of something like this. Like this would have been a good tournament for Brian Pillman Jr. to win. Somebody who needs that. Like, so Adam Cole is, he's, people are done with him, right? Like he came over, he had his, um, sort of big pop when you know people are like, oh shit, Adam Cole's here. But then we've gotten a good look at him, you know, these past well, what's it been a year now, nine months, and like there's nothing there, there's nothing going on. Like we're, it's over. Um, he is not the guy to to push in this respect. Um, so I, yeah, I don't know. I also just him beating Samoa Joe is just 
just bothers me. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. It doesn't like, make any sense. Samoa Joe should have killed him in 90 seconds. That's, right. That's what that match is. Right. Uh, but there's no reason for that to even be competitive, let alone turn out in a win. At least the way both of those men have been pushed and presented so far in AEW, Adam Cole should not have won that match, and Samoa Joe should have just steamrolled him on his way to face CM Punk. Yeah, exactly. So, anyway. anyway lots of, anyways, anyways. Lots of atrocious, um, just jacked up booking over there at AEW. Let the hate mail begin. <laughs> That's all the WrestleManias at gmail.com. <laughs> at WrestleMania Pod on Twitter. Make sure you spell our name right. That's all that we ask. So, all right. Are you ready to talk WrestleMania 22 then, I guess? Yeah, let's do it. All righty. So, we're continuing our all the WrestleManias, our primary reason for being. Um, we have sort of made a, a schedule to try to get to one of these WrestleManias every once a month at least. So we'll go do these other episodes, the profiles, the popcorn matches, the uh, older shows and not just WrestleManias. And then, but we will always try to come back and hit at least one WrestleMania a month so that we can complete this um, quixotic project sometime in our lifetimes. But it's never going to happen. Yeah. But because <laughs> at some point we're going to just be in WrestleMania infinite mode um, <laughs> as a, I, at some point, WrestleMania is going to be a whole week. Let's just accept it and admit it that, like, I have this feeling that WrestleMania 40 is at least going to be Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. I, I just That's, have that feeling. Yeah, I mean. And somehow The Rock is going to fight on every night. <laughs> you heard it here first. All right. <laughs> oh, you know what they could do? Uh, Friday night could be the young kid from Young Rock who plays the young, <laughs> young Dewey. And then Saturday night could be the, you know, college football age rock <laughs> actor. And then Sunday night could be the real rock. Huh? Yeah, huh? that's a good that's a good plan. That's a good plan. Yeah. I like this. Anyway. Um, so this is April second, two thousand six. I have no idea where I was that year, um, which is much like this year. It was held at the Allstate Arena in Rosemont, Illinois, formerly the Rosemont Horizon, which is one of the three sites of WrestleMania 2, if you remember back that far. And the tagline for this one is Big Time, which basically means that they get to say and play the same lines, uh, the same four lines of Peter Gabriel's song every um, every chance they get. Which is the official anthem of this WrestleMania. I thought that was a very interesting choice of them to like, because, I mean, we've had all these early 2000s new metal band saliva and stuff like that and now we have peter gabriel <laughs> it's an interesting maneuver on an album from 1990 what four something like that yeah big time by peter gabriel was released in 1986 on his album titled so Um, anyway, uh, attendance for this one was 17,155, had about 975,000 pay-per-view buys. So that's actually down a little bit. That's sub 1 million. Um, so we're coming down over previous years. And I think we kind of see maybe, uh, in this WrestleMania, maybe why some of that interest was waning, <laughs> um, runtime on this bad boy is three hours and 53 minutes is really goddamn long. And of course, on commentary, we've got Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler for the Raw matches. 
and Michael goddamn Cole and Taz for the SmackDown matches. There was a big difference in the presentation of this WrestleMania. I don't know if you picked up on like how it was being presented. So it felt more like they were really trying to present this as like the Super Bowl kind of thing. Like they're talking to the audience on TV as if they're not weekly viewers of WWE programming. Uh, and then like they were talking about various WrestleMania records being set and stuff like that. And then there's like uh, the opening song is back. Michelle Williams is singing America the Beautiful and she does a great job. Uh, and then we got like footage of Ric Flair and people with the troops. Uh, there's a very awkward video of Ric Flair strutting like with a soldier, <laughs> which is kind of amusing. Oh, so uh, just as as the opening of this podcast has been stretched out, the opening of this show <laughs> has been stretched out. This WrestleMania, it takes 12 minutes to get from we're live in Chicago to the bell ringing for the first match. Yeah, I counted. It takes six minutes to even get to the initial bounce of uh, stadium fireworks. So all the, you know, all the cards and all the blah, blah, yeah. blah. And then, and then you find it, like, even just to get to the goddamn fireworks. Um, the other thing I picked up on this one is that they say Raw and SmackDown present WrestleMania 22. And that, uh, I don't know if that was a first, but that was, is very noticeable this time. And that I, I caught, the same thing you did that that video package starting up the whole thing uh, really kind of leans heavily into nostalgia. And one of the last images they show is Eddie Guerrero who had died the previous November. So this is the first WrestleMania since he had passed. So he, he gets a huge pop every time his name is said, or every time somebody does a move in his honor or some, every time his uh, face shows up on the video. So this Chicago crowd is hot. Oh, they so are hot. They, they might be my favorite crowd that we've encountered in this podcast and all the wrestling that we've been watching. This crowd is amazing. They're so into it and uh, they're more of a modern day crowd to where they're cheering for the guys they like, whether they're heel or face. And the announcers even have to acknowledge that weird things are happening with the crowd's enthusiasm. They don't know where where the crowd loyalty lies and stuff like that. And it's really great. And it gets really obvious as we get towards the end of this card. And, oh, they're so fired up and they're so into everything. It is really great. I don't know who they had as a warm-up act, but boy, they did a great <laughs> job. It probably wasn't Peter Gabriel, but... No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, there's there's a couple of spots in here we can talk about them as we go along where, like, the crowd is just, just losing its goddamn mind. Um the very first match on the card here is Carlito and the masterpiece Chris Masters, whom I don't remember. Sorry, Chris Masters, versus Kane and the Big Show. It's a tag team match for the World Tag Team Championship. Kane and the Big Show, of course, hold the titles because who the hell is going to beat those two monsters <laughs> ever, right? They could they could still be tag champions if they wanted to. <laughs> yeah. Back in the day, there's no shoot wrestlers they could call in to take the belts off of them. So. Yeah, what are you going to do? They could be like 16 year tag champions right now. <laughs> you have to hit both guys with a truck to take the belts off of them. <laughs> Did you catch that? Um, Carlito was billed from the Caribbean. <laughs> the that's, whole not, scene. that's that's not a country. Um, that's not, that's not a thing. No. Nope. Uh, yeah. I He's mean, from Puerto Rico. His dad was, uh, Carlos, Carlos Colon, Colon. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Super famous Puerto Rican wrestler. So this, this match just made me 
like realize again that they don't know what to do with Kane if he's not fighting the Undertaker. <laughs> so let's make him tag champ with the Big Show and just do it. Uh, there, there's not a whole lot. I mean, there's a lot of like big guy moves here, right? And there's yeah. um, <laughs> Big Show laid some serious chops on Masters. Oh and, my god! <laughs> and J, Jr. says Masters' pecs are being assaulted. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what Big Show did to piss off Chris Masters, but holy shit. He's just like, uh, quote the, uh, uh, Jim Ross, skillet-sized hands <laughs> slamming into his chest at full speed. It, it's incredible. It's This is actually probably one of my favorite Big Show matches that we've seen in this because while he's a bit out of shape still, He's really settling into understanding playing the role of a giant in this match and just like throwing his weight around, crushing people's chests and just being a general big ass person that people can't deal with, um, (laughs) which is great. He he also uh, does this kind of impressive lift of Carlito and dumps him crutch first onto the top rope. And then he like jerks the rope up and down. Like and yeah. makes Carlito bounce around. Like he's in a, a friggin' bouncy castle at a kid's birthday party, but on his crutch. Yeah. At one point, Carlito gets out of, gets tossed out of the ring and big show reaches over to the top rope and grabs Carlito by his hair and lifts him all the way back into the ring from <laughs> the floor. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's fun. Yeah, so there. This is the first point to where, like, the announcing is starting trying to treat this like a Super Bowl legitimate sporting event, and the announcers uh, announce that this is the first traditional tag championship defense match since WrestleMania 15. Oh wow! That it's not like a, th- a fatal three way or fatal four way tag match or a tag battle royal or anything like that. It's just two tag teams wrestling for the tag championship. Hmm interesting on the other hand this card is full of gimmick matches and yeah like some ridiculous number out of 11 matches are gimmicks or hardcore matches of some variety um so but at least this one's straight and it's relatively short so that's good uh, there's some decent moves big show does an impressive suplex of of his two opponents which i always like there's a uh, big show goes for the choke slam but masters chops blocks chops I can't say that chop blocks his knee and rolls him out of the ring. But then Kane finally gets the choke slam on Carlito for the win. Of course they retain the belt because again, what are you going to do to those guys to put them down? Right. And I, I also had trouble telling who was face and who was heel in this match. Uh, it's really a blurry line in this one. Cause like Carlito and the masterpiece are obviously working to get heat, uh, especially Chris masters entrance, which is very, narcissist lex luger esque. yeah um i think the music is even extremely similar uh we won't go into that but it is a very much like the same gimmick uh and then big show and kane like they're not normally very good guys either so it's just who's who in this match so (laughs) yeah i don't know um i guess it's it's the it's the badass bad guys over the the preening pretty boy bad guys maybe yeah i guess i don't know there's a um i had a sign alert uh i don't remember it must have been right after this one it said orton is a wiener (laughs) true (laughs) survey says that is true the uh next match is the money in the bank ladder match 
Oh, I wanted to talk about the promo that happened. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. um, Shawn Michaels and Coachman. Yeah, huge booze for Jonathan Coachman. (laughs) Fuck (laughs) that guy. (laughs) Fuck him. God, I hate him so bad. Uh, So the crowd just goes off on him, and then Shawn Michaels cuts a great promo, like probably one of the best promos of Shawn Michaels that we've seen uh, since he put Marty Jannetty through the window. Um (laughs) And he just says, tonight is going to be violent, is how he ends it. Because uh, Sean is fighting Mr. McMahon, because all the classic wrestlers of your favorite childhood memories has to now fight Vince McMahon at a WrestleMania one by one. <laughs> yeah, he's not an egomaniac or anything. No. No, not at all. And he uh, he tells the truth about it being violent. Well, yeah. Um, we'll, um, we'll get there. It's definitely foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, spoiler alert, Sean. Um, Sean's uh, eyes are starting to uh, kind of float around a little bit uh, a little at this bit. point. Yeah, they've Anyway, so the Money in the Bank ladder match is next. It's Rob Van Dam, Bobby Lashley, Finley, Matt Hardy, Ric Flair, and Shelton Benjamin. And again, I think... And some of these guys are a little out of place <laughs> in this match. Uh, Shelton Benjamin is Intercontinental Champion still. So, yeah. again, the Intercontinental Championship belt will not be defended at WrestleMania. Who the fuck thought it was a good idea to put Ric Flair in this match? <laughs> they tell us right at the top that this is Flair's only Flair's second ladder match. Um, That's because this is not his thing. <laughs> and he doesn't need a stupid gimmick, you morons. But the, what is your problem? Oh my God, who decided he should be in this and why? Uh, I'm pretty sure that Bobby Lashley broke his hip. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. They, well, let's uh, uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves, but um, I, 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 I'm I not entirely sure what happened there, so maybe you can help me figure it out. Um, there's some good commentary on this one. JR says that Finley is tougher than a $2 steak. This is also the um, WrestleMania debut for Bobby Lashley. Yeah, we haven't. This is the first time yeah. I've seen him in, in a WrestleMania. He looks like a baby, but he's still yeah. an absolute unit. Oh my God, he's ripped. He is so ripped. He's got muscles on muscles. It's on ridiculous. Muscles. You're doing your laundry on his abs. Like, <laughs> uh, at a certain point, maybe you don't need to lift any more weights. I'm just going to put no. that out there. Yeah, I mean, I just, the crowd is eating this one up. Uh, there's, there's this crazy shit happening like every 30 seconds, if not faster than that. Uh, Shelton Benjamin uses the ladder as a ramp to run up the top rope and jump off the middle of the top ropes to Swanton onto everybody on the outside of the ring, uh, where everybody was conveniently waiting. That was just after RVD dives over the top rope into a ladder that's being held crossways by Matt Hardy. So what I learned from this match is that neither RVD nor um, Shelton Benjamin have any regard for their own health and well-being. No. Those guys just... and uh, yeah, Uh, Nobody in this match does. (laughs) Uh, Well, Flair does because he gets hurt and gets... (laughs) Called from the ring. So he sees like everybody wrecked on the outside of the ring. And so he sets up the ladder in the middle. And is like, I'm fucking going for it. And so 53 or four year old, as they say, uh, Ric Flair is now 12 feet of the 15 feet foot ladder in the air. And he gets caught. Uh, who who caught him? Was it Finley uh, that Matt, caught him? Matt Hardy, I think. Matt Car- Matt Hardy catches him. We'll just go with that. And Matt Hardy 
superplexes Ric Flair off the top <laughs> of the fucking ladder. It is elder abuse. If if <laughs> I if Ric Flair is a vulnerable adult at this point, and I just have to say, Flair sells the ever loving shit out of this too. So he hits the ring and immediately starts screaming, like screaming, like not like oh god, yeah. but like ah. <laughs> yeah. And there's like a moment of silence and awe in the crowd too. Like this crowd has been like noisy the whole time, and then Flair takes that bump and oh wait, <laughs> I think Ric Flair might be dead. Like it's yeah. terrifying. Like I the refs uh, throw up the X right, so like. I mean, that's yeah. They wave out. They wave out people to come out and help Flair yeah. out of the ring, and like he's screaming the whole time. Meanwhile, the other people are beating the shit out of each other. <laughs> it is insane. Chaos. Yeah, it's chaos. RVD does a flip and lands on the ladder on his stomach with his full weight. It takes three guys to power bomb Bobby off the ladder. Let's see what else happens. I, everything about it is is Ric Flair nuts. comes back, right? <laughs> so Ric Flair, like several minutes later, comes hobbling back down the ramp, and like the thing is, is that like he's selling like a weird leg injury, but you can see in the replay that his legs never hit the mat, so it's mm. it's a work. And he's hobbling down to the ring, and he gets in the ring and just starts laying the meanest Ric Flair chops you ever seen in your life in the Fit Finley. It just and then everyone eats a chop. They come after him, and they all eat chops too. Uh, and the crowd is is losing everything. <laughs> like they can't control themselves. Like Ric Flair just came back after a superplex from the top of the ladder, and is now beating everybody. Like you get the sense that Ric Flair might actually win. Well, and if we also have gotten to the point here where every time Flair chops somebody, you get a woo, uh, which I always appreciated. So oh, he yeah. finally gets brained with uh, Finley's shillelagh, um, and that's not code. He, he has an actual club. <laughs> uh, and Flair just drops off the ladder like a sack of Idaho potatoes. Um, oh! Hey, callback. There's there's a bunch of people slamming uh, ladders into each other. Bobby lays the Dominator on Shelton, which uh, Taz points out Ron Simmons used to use as his finisher. Um, so that one was pretty cool. Um <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, Bobby's climbing up the ladder. RVD jumps off the turnbuckle, puts a chair under his feet like a skateboard, and kicks Lashley with with it, who sort of falls off kind of half-assed wise. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Matt Hardy gives Finley a side effect off of this off of the ladder. It's sort of like a side, whatever you call it, slam. Um, there's a big old splash from RVD onto Finley from the very top. We get a, some EC dub chance. <laughs> There's, I don't know who, who actually, Oh, RVD gets the RVD. Finally, finally. <laughs> oh God. RVD makes it to the top and gets, gets the suitcase. And he's bleeding from the mouth, probably because he's liquefied his organs on one of those splashes. Like there's just, just nothing in there, but a bag of goo. Yeah. It's internal bleeding for sure. <laughs> so I usually don't, I usually don't like this kind of thing. Like just sort of spot monkey stuff, but this one is so, insane that i actually ended up enjoying it um in spite of myself yeah same same i mean because sometimes those spots just seem like they've they set up and wait for them too much and that i don't like that i like the continuous 
flow and continuity in a match. That's really what what gets gets the engine revving for me. So yeah, and they did a really good job here. I think between the yeah, what is that six guys, five six, they managed to kind of keep everything moving. I think mostly so that the crowd doesn't like hyperventilate and pass out. They go to the Hall of Fame class next. It's like let's just let's just let everybody breathe for a little bit here. Yeah, because like Mean Gene is talking, and for some reason Orton interrupts Mean Gene to say that I'm the Legend Killer and cuts another really boring promo. He cannot talk. Oh, <laughs> he makes fun of Mean Gene because he's getting into the Hall of Fame for talking on a microphone basically but i just read that as orton Orton can't (laughs) right i just read that as him being jealous because he can't talk for shit so but they pull out the um hall of fame class of 2006 finkel comes out to the ring to make sure to tell us um that bret hart was inducted (laughs) but quote did not feel comfortable participating in tonight's show like is there covid (laughs) what the heck like that's not necessary like that's just that's entirely to make brett look like a jerk right like i I don't understand that announcement it's kind of shitty a shitty thing for them to do um yeah anyways yeah so after other than brett hart the other guys that they introduce are mean gene okerland uh sensational sherry who's escorted (laughs) who's escorted out by ted dibiase so that was really cool we love sherry um, Tony Atlas, of course, sort of famously uh, Rocky Johnson's partner in the Soul Brothers, first black tag team champions. Um, Vern Gagne, uh, owner, founder, promoter for uh, the AWA, which we just watched uh, the Wrestle Rock show. For the celebrity wing, William the Refrigerator Perry, formerly of the Chicago Bears and one of the Royal, not Royal Rumbles. It was one of the Battle Royals at a WrestleMania. Was that I think. the WrestleMania two, the NFL yeah. versus Superstars uh, Battle Royal? Yes, yes. Um, the Blackjacks, Blackjack Mulligan and Blackjack Lanza, and then the last one that they introduce is Eddie Guerrero. Um, you know, who's obviously sort of the fan favorite here kind of the emotional highlight again he had just passed away in november he was inducted by his best buddy chris benoit and then he's represented on the show here by vicky guerrero and um, chavo guerrero is there as well Uh, this is the start of vicky guerrero being on camera and doing things too hard pass but it's it's a legitimately nice moment there's it is chance of uh you know we love you or we miss you eddie there's a we miss you eddie signs uh there's there's some tears it's it's a legitimately sort of moving yeah yeah after like they put Vern ganya in just as a we beat you kind of now you're in our hall of fame kind of <laughs> yeah. kind of flex uh and like whatever the hell was happening with the bret hart thing there um yeah, at this point now, we're 47 minutes into WrestleMania 22, and we've had two matches. <laughs> and we're 48 minutes into this podcast, and we've only talked about two matches as well. So look at that. So we should probably pick it up here. So next up is JBL, John Bradshaw, Layfield with Jillian Hall versus Chris Benoit. This is for the United States Championship. Um, JBL arrives in a limo with Honest to God steer horns on him like he's Boss Hog. I did. I caught a good. Did you catch the sign? I said JBL 
it had like a picture of Slim Jim. It said beef jerky, and it had a picture of JBL. Yes. It said beefy jerk. <laughs> yes, uh, that, I moaned that sign, and it's like that's one of the best signs we've seen in all of these WrestleManias too. Very creative. I love it. Uh, I like this match. This match was a hell of a hell of a fight. Yeah, this was good. Yeah, there's one moment where Benoit gets a hold of JBL and repeatedly headbutts him to the back of the neck multiple times. Like, <laughs> ow! <laughs> like, that's just horribly mean. Uh, and then there's um, the slaps to JBL's chest, and JBL is selling them great, but they sound like fucking gunshots through that arena, and it's just amazing. Uh, JBL then asks answers back with haymaker with a haymaker that like i'm not sure was even real like it might i think that thing actually connected because like the way <laughs> benoit dropped and stuff like if it didn't really hit and really like stun and knock down benoit benoit sold it the best ever like it reminded me of that punch that we saw at the wrestle rock was zabisco and um Ledoux, Ledoux hitting Zabisco on the chin and Ledoux going or Zabisco dropping like the sack of potatoes from Idaho. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then JBL actually does some uh, Eddie Guerrero moves and like Eddie Guerrero's like shoulder shimmy taunt thing and gets some serious fucking heat from that crowd. I was like, I don't know about that, but like. <laughs> yeah. Like no, it's pro wrestling. Idea. This is what they do. This is what they do in pro wrestling. That's how they do it. If if the person didn't die in the ring, then they're fair game in the, yeah. in the culture, you know? So uh, also this is, this is another one of those moments where the announcing kind of pulls back and does like a, a like moment in WrestleMania kind of thing, like the Super Bowl announcing uh, Michael Cole says only five matches in WrestleMania history to this point had been won by submission. And that it felt weird, but I went back and fact-checked him, and he's right. Damn it. Uh, so the first one was WrestleMania six, where Rick Martel beats Coco Beware with a Boston Crab. Uh, WrestleMania nine, where Bret Hart beats Bob Backlund in the I Quit match. WrestleMania 13, where Bret Hart beats Stone Cold in the sharpshooter, where he passes out beautifully, you know. Uh, WrestleMania 20, Chris Benoit beats Triple H and Shawn Michaels with a crossface. And then WrestleMania 21, Kurt Angle beats uh, Shawn Michaels with the ankle lock. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, M- Michael Cole told the truth to us for once. <laughs> nice research. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. I um, This is the first time I've spotted the uh, sign that says, it's still real to me, damn it. Um, <laughs> which I love. And I also yeah. think it's appropriate for a Chris Benoit match, because as we've talked about, he just beats people up. Um, he's still a absolute beast. JBL's looking a little puffy here, I gotta say. Um, there's some really good technical stuff here, back and forth. Yeah, uh, Benoit gets a good pop for doing the uh, three amigos, you know, sort of the three suplexes yeah. in a row, which was Eddie Guerrero's move. He does that giant flying headbutt from the top, which I'm still not really sure how that's an offensive move, but whatever. No, um, I don't know how that works. Uh, I mean, Bam Bam Bigelow did it too, and it still confuses me. Uh, <laughs> Taz, Taz calls it a su- calls it a suicide headbutt, which just made me say yikes. Um, right? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So this one has a uh, dirty finish. Benoit gets the cross yeah. face, but JBL rolls him over and grabs the middle rope for leverage. So he gets the, the pin, which we see, of course, but the ref doesn't. Yeah, it's um, a pretty clever finish. It was like, great. Uh, JBL went for the clothesline from hell and that got reversed into the cross face. That was a impressive little shimmy maneuver 
uh, by Benoit. It seems like Benoit knows how to turn every single person's finisher into his finisher. I love that. Uh, moving on, um, the Edge. <laughs> I always do that. <laughs> He's not the Edge. The Edge is the guy from U two. He is he is Edge. He is Adam Edge Copeland. Um, with Lita. <laughs> Sorry, every time like yeah. so there's something about it. Anyway, Edge with Lita is here against Mick Foley in a hardcore match. Um, and holy shit, Mick's promo is amazing before this match. Oh, God. He's so talented on the mic. Oh, he's so good. He talks about basically how Edge brought something back to life in him that he didn't realize you know, it had been buried. And he always talking about sort of this streak of violence that he's had and this bloodlust and yeah um, and now edge has woken it up and you know he's he's as afraid of it as he he should be and you know it was it's freaking amazing yeah and this is right after the cringy moment of uh edge and lita supposedly having sex in the ring in a bed i don't know if you've ever seen that clip of monday night raw to where no. yeah <laughs> yeah thankfully uh, they just come down to the ring and like they get practically into their underwear slide underneath the the quilts of a bed that has been set up in the ring and they have sex on gross night raw. yeah gross yeah. Um, also, Lita's clearly gotten a boob job since we saw her last. Yeah, this is the period of time where like McMahon is like making all the women get boobs. Mm. Also gross. And you're not supposed to acknowledge them either. <laughs> yeah. So. Good luck with that. Yeah. So I, you know, I have mixed feelings about this. I mean, as much as I love Mick Foley, um, and as much as I, you know, love seeing him in the ring, I, I kind of, you know, wish that he was not doing this stuff here. Um several years after his retirement and also several years after I'm sure lots of people in his life said, you know, you probably shouldn't do this stuff anymore. Um, he probably this... couldn't remember them telling him that. <laughs> That's terrible. But yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's, um, Oh yeah. He like I, right I away, know. he eats a cookie sheet to the face and yeah. then a second cookie sheet comes out and it's a, it's a real like professional grade one. That was not gimmicked, and he, oh god, damn! Just right to the face, no bracing. Oh, there's is some this... clever stuff though that happens in this match. Yeah. I like the uh, edge uh, spears Foley, but it turns out Foley had wrapped his body in barbed wire, and Edge's arm is just bleeding like crazy because it got punctured by the hidden barbs. Yeah, that was a cool moment. Oh, even though I'm pretty sure um, Lita blades his arm. Um, in between the, yeah, you know the reveal there, but um, yeah, that was a that was a that was pretty clever. And then the, the crowd goes nuts, of course, when he opens up his shirt and when Mick opens up his shirt, and you can see the barbed wire, and he has to get wire cutters to <laughs> to get it off. Most of the time in these hardcore matches, I don't get it. I don't get the storytelling. I just feel like they're going from one spot and one stunt over back and forth until they decide that one person is practically dead. Uh, but this match, I felt like they actually did do some storytelling in it. And that's frequent with the Mick Foley ones. Like, I think that's why people actually like get drawn to the Mick Foley hardcore matches. And it's not just because of the holy shit, stupid, crazy shit he does, but it's, he somehow finds a way to weave a story into it. 
and yeah, this match there's there's some really good storytelling in it. Like there's a moment where Lita jumps on Foley's back and like a crazy man, instead of just like charging into the corner to try and get Lita off his back, he throws himself at Edge and takes all three of them over the top <laughs> rope. <laughs> like he doesn't care. He's just like all right, fine. That's how I'm getting out of this situation. We're all going. Yeah, um, we're all going to die. Right. Um, yeah, they, they get a, a barbed wire wrapped bat involved. There's thumbtacks, of course. Um, it's a truism that whoever dumps out the thumbtacks is the one that gets slammed on them. It's never yeah. it's never the other way around. It's like the person who sets up the table is the one who gets powerbombed through it. So I will say the Foley is smart to wear multiple shirts for a match like this (laughs) (laughs) yeah like this is why he wears flannel jim ross calls this match concussion on delivery cod wow uh lita got color i don't know if you noticed that lita got some color like oh god she like got some barbed wire in her mouth like oh yeah that was that was nasty he has uh mr sacco but mr sacco is wrapped in barbed wire and so Lita tries to interfere, and he grabs her by the by the jaw. With, Not the uh, money maker, Lita. Not the money maker. Yeah, Ooh. yeah, that was nasty. Yeah. So, um, and then the money spot here is uh, Mick sets up a table and pours lighter fluid on it, of course, because you know why wouldn't you do that? Fucking um, go for it. <laughs> but Lita smacks him with the with the uh, bat right in the balls, and then Edge spears him off the apron and through the flaming table. Um, which is is horrifying as it sounds. Um, so Mick loses, but he gets a absolutely triumphant Foley chant after the match, and he's making his way up, well, limping his way up the ramp and just gushing blood everywhere. And um, yeah, and this is yeah, this is really where the storytelling kicks in. Um, like Edge won this match, but he looks fucking terrified. Like he had just like he didn't know that that's what was coming at him. And that Foley was gonna bring it at him even at that at this time in his career that this is this is the level you're getting from Mick Foley, so like he saw the 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 streak the the violent streak that Foley was talking about, and like he's like shaking and like panicked leaving the ring, and Mick Foley is just like laying there in his own blood, reveling in the crowd cheering for him, and he's just like so happy, and then he's celebrating on the way up the ramp like. Oh, this is so good. He lost, but it didn't matter because he beat the shit out of Edge. <laughs> That's all that really matters at the end of the day. Right. Just make make the other guy suffer. Make him feel on the outside the way you feel on the inside. Exactly. So, yeah. That's the mankind uh, Freudian thing. So Exactly. Exactly. Um, well, yeah. and it's it's like Mick said at the top in his promo about, you know, this if you if you mess around, this is what you're gonna awaken and then you're not gonna like what you have to deal with. So no. If you gaze into the abyss, the abyss gazes also into you. Moving on. This is, I hate this. I hate this. All oh, this next part. Um, <sighs> do we, do we have to talk about it? Um, I mean, the only thing that we should mention is that gold dust is dressed like Oprah and they call him <laughs> Oprah dust. <laughs> yes. Okay. 
it's it's a very P.T. Barnum-esque one of us. We're we're freaks. You're a freak too, kind of thing with Booker T and like and Queen Charmel. It's an intergender handicap match. They are backstage. They're freaked out because they're going to have to wrestle the Boogeyman, who is a guy named Martin Wright, who came up through OVW and Tough Enough. Um, he actually looks like an absolute unit. And like he looks like he could probably do some stuff, but he's just got this awful supernatural gimmick. If you say his name, like the Candyman, he appears. He eats worms, like big piles of worms. Uh, he leaves yeah. worms in his opponent's mouths after he's beat them. Um, everything about it is gross. Um, I really wanted to fast forward through this, but I decided not to because um, I'm dedicated to the craft of this podcast. <laughs> um, I did fast. I did fast forward. I'm sorry. Yeah, I understand. I understand. I get it. So the Boogeyman story with Tough Enough is actually really interesting. I don't know how much you read about it. So... He auditions and gets into the first season of Tough Enough. And they're right about to start filming. And suddenly he has to admit that he's 40 years old. And that's too old to be a participant on Tough Enough. And so he gets disqualified from the show immediately before it even airs. But then they send him to OVW to train him because they like him. Oh, wow. (laughs) Uh, yeah. Why are they putting Booker T in this? I don't know. Damn. Like, (laughs) and then he puts Boogeyman over. He's a company player, even. Like, he is doing everything you want him to do. And he's stuck in this mid-card bullshit with Goldust dressing like Oprah and a man eating worms shoving worms in charmel's face like like that moment did kind of make me laugh where like the boogeyman kisses her with his worm mouth and she's all covered in worms it kind of made me chuckle but like because she sold it like amazing and i mean i guess you don't have to work that hard when someone with a mouthful of earthworms kisses you to be grossed out but it is kind of an interesting moment but the the thing was is that I was really really liking this WrestleMania up to this point. I was like thinking that this could be a five or very close to a five, and then this happened. Yeah, it's really terrible. It's over the top, sort of comedic. Booker is doing this sort of like wide eyed, um, super uh. superstitious, maybe a little bit even sort of racially inflected. You know, kind of like. Um, it's, it's not, almost birth of a nation esque. It's not good. It's not good. So, and it's gross. I don't want to see anybody eat worms or put worms on anybody's mouth or kiss people with worms on them. I don't want to see it. It's gross. It makes me fast forward. It makes me hate your show. Next match, please. Yes. Next match. <laughs> <laughs> Mickey James versus Trish Stratus for the WWE Women's Championship. So the story here is that Mickey has come up, you know, WWE as Trish's biggest fan. Um, but then it sort of quickly takes a single white female kind of turn where she comes sort of becomes increasingly obsessed with Trish. Um, she kidnaps somebody. She keeps kissing her uh, every chance she gets. Um, it's a little bit offensive. It's sort of like the whole, um, I don't know, the, the it's sort of like, the LGBT identity a community is, is like sick and deranged. You know what I mean? Like it's, uh, I yeah, I like- get it. This is one of the three storylines that they always use with women. 
Yeah. Um, it's always super obsessed fangirl to the point of homoeroticism because every every female storyline at this time in WWF ends in homoeroticism and lesbianism. It just does. Yeah. And what is really sad is that all of that overshadows what is actually a really good wrestling match. This is possibly the best Trish Stratus match that we've seen. It's our first Mickey James match. I think it might be our only, but and Mickey James looks great in this. She does a great job working and the crowd is actually realizing how good Mickey James is during this match. And they turn on Trish Stratus in this match. It's incredible. There was already no pop for Trish coming out. It was dead silent. And then Mickey James comes out and she's putting on a clinic on how to work and how to sell and stuff. And the crowd gets behind her. And then by the end of this match, Trish is being booed by the crowd. Yeah, that's an interesting flip. This is one of the times where the announcers are trying to like, they don't understand why the crowd is suddenly booing Trish Stratus and cheering Mickey James. And they're just, they, they don't know what to do. The announcers don't know how to handle this situation. And it just makes one of those great wrestling moments because of it. And Mickey lands a tremendous roundhouse kick to knock Trish out and for the win. And we have a new women's champion. I really like this match, but everything surrounding it is this it's total shit show and terrible. Yeah, it's gross. There's also lots of uh, psycho sign all around the uh, the ring. So we're we're stigmatizing mental illness, too. So that's cool. Um, at one point, Lawler says, oh, you know, one time Mark Chapman was a huge John Lennon fan. So obviously we're we're setting it up for Mickey James as the obsessed fan who could who could kill Trish because she's just that into her. Um, no, she'll just roundhouse kick her ass and pin her and take her belt. That's because yeah. it's also wrestling. And as I mentioned before, this storyline took like the better part of a year. This is, you know, one of these slow builds, you know, where um, that the they just don't really, they definitely don't do an AEW um, and it's getting harder to find. Um, so, so they had a rematch at Backlash, which is the pay-per-view right after WrestleMania. And at that one, Stratus, um, Trish Stratus, like legitimately dislocated her shoulder and that took her out of action for a little while. But I agree. This is actually a pretty decent match. I was reading some reviews. They kind of ranked this one up there as one of the better women's matches in all of WrestleMania history. So, yeah. Um, so maybe skip the, uh, skip the video package and just watch the in-ring stuff. Because it's just really just like a couple minutes of like scary echoed female laughing. Ha 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 ha. Kind of stuff. So Yeah. Or if you like that thing, watch the uh watch the film Single White Female from the nineties and you'll you'll you won't miss anything. No. It's the same story. So um so this is um this is the part where I had stopped watching it and then I resumed and my wife was watching it with me. Um, so when we got to this next part, um, which is a promo with the whole McMahon family backstage and Vince's in his like black tank top looking like a Thanksgiving turkey, all bronzed and overstuffed. <laughs> Jackie just said, Ew. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. 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 He's so gross. <laughs> he, um, it is gross. It's gross. He wants to have a family prayer, uh, which is fucking comical. So he gets down on one knee and has his family join him. And he's like, <laughs> he does this, you know, his Vince voice. He's like, God, I don't like you. You don't like me. 
He's like, I've done everything, all the sins in the book. And I'm going to, and then he goes on to tell God what he's going to do to God's favorite wrestler, Shawn Michaels, because Shawn Michaels is a is a crazy Christian type. Yeah, Shawn Michaels has taken over Jake the Snake's gimmick from yeah. uh, the mid-90s with the Stone Cold stuff. So I would actually, I would pay money to listen to more Vince McMahon prayers. Like if they made like a, a audio book <laughs> of like, Vince, Vince McMahon affirmations. Yeah, Vince McMahon reads daily <laughs> meditations. Um, and then in the book, God, yeah, the Lord is my shepherd. <laughs> you son of a bitch! Give us this day our daily bread. <laughs> Kiss my ass! <laughs> oh man! Ah uh, oh, man! You're fire <laughs> so we're gonna have to hold off <laughs> <laughs> get a drink get a drink um, how does he so, talk like that good god i don't know i don't know he can't really talk anymore like you hear him now he's it's he's he blew it out <laughs> so the next match is not the vince mcmahon match we um we have to get through the Undertaker versus Mark Henry in a casket match next. Uh, okay, so the first part here is the Druids with the torches bringing the casket down to the casket ring. Casket has its own entrance music. The casket has its own entrance because the show's not long enough. And the entire fucking time, Cole will not stop talking. Like, uh-uh. all he has to do is, like, nope. just let that moment breathe. You know, let the let the druids come down, let the music play. And he's just talking and talking and talking and talking. I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. Will you shut up? Like it was awful. Like, I don't know. I mean, I know he's awful all the time, but it was especially awful for that moment. Yeah. He's saying stuff that should have been a video package before the match. If they're going to do one too, it's just like, like you let that happen. And then you just go, the mystique and the power of the undertaker is overwhelming and scary. And then, let things happen this if you have to go on and on about how how mysterious and scary something is it's it's not all that mysterious and scary no because if you have enough about it to talk about like that it's not that mysterious <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um we do get a sign alert it says casket size xxxxxxl um presumably for mark henry so that's a little bit rude um, do they not remember yokozuna <laughs> Do they not remember Yokozuna? He fit in Yokozuna. a regular casket. That was not a regular casket. That was a specially made casket. Like half of the gimmick of the setup to the Yokozuna Undertaker casket match were promos of the Undertaker building the casket special oh, for right. Yokozuna. Right, right, right. Like and like they did the same thing with uh uh the Kamala casket match too, I believe. So uh, I this this match was bad. I'm sorry. Yeah. Don't apologize uh, to me. I'm not the Undertaker fan. That's you. I don't know. I like Mark Henry, even though he's been there forever at this point, and this is his first actual like WrestleMania in ring match. Underwhelming. Yeah. Undertaker also underwhelming. Taz does say soup bones though. <laughs> <laughs> soup bone hands. Undertaker appears to be going to the same tanning salon as Vince, because um, he is also an unnatural shade of orange. Um, yeah, I know, there's You're not dead. a whole lot. You should not be tan. You are no. dead. You are the dead man. Do not tan. 
I don't know. There's two there's two moments here that I wrote. Mark gets picked up off the ropes and the Undertaker like picks him up off the ropes and then walks a couple of steps and power bombs him. I mean basically he just kinda lets him fall like it's, it's not, like he it, last tried at him. It's like no, yeah. that wasn't no, that <laughs> yeah. wasn't good. That was just gravity. Um and then he Undertaker also dives over the top rope over the casket and just about kills himself on the floor. Um, that was just really dumb. Not necessary. Thank God Mark Henry caught him because that was going to be the end of the Undertaker for real. Um, <laughs> yeah. The only thing that I noted was that Mark Henry did really do some great facials, especially during the entrance. He did the whole, I'm not scared. Uh, maybe I am kind of scared kind of, kind of <laughs> looks. And then like once like Undertaker wasn't like really giving into his moves uh, and then uh, the Undertaker tombstoned Mark Henry. Holy shit. Like, yeah, that is, oh, my God, that's a big man. He made it look easy, too. Yeah, and then flip him around and boom, tombstone. My God. And then the end of this thing goes on for freaking ever. The Undertaker's in the ring posing and the music, and it just goes on and on and on and on, and I had to fast forward. It would not wrap up. All right, are we ready for this no-holds-barred match? Sean, um, God's champion, Michael's. Versus Mr. McMahon with uh, Shane McMahon in his corner. It's a no-holds-barred match. So Vince has been making people kiss his ass, attacking Hogan with a chair, generally being a jerk of a boss. He's been going at this now since, what, when did this, this stuff with Austin start? Like, 99, 98? It pretty much starts with the screw job, right? Yeah, like the right. Brett screwed Brett is the right. start of Mr. McMahon. Yeah. And it's interesting that we bring that up because actually a lot of the Brett screw job is part of the storyline of this match too. Right. That was interesting to me. And uh yeah, like the 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 story for this match is actually interesting. It's no long it's not like as shallow as the Hulk Hogan one where you know you need to figure out who invented WrestleMania or or and who created Hulkamania and stuff. Uh there's actual some depth here and they're going into like the history of the business and the two between them and adding some revisionist history to it. But it is kind of an interesting story. And I'm also wondering if that is the reason why Brett was uncomfortable with appearing at this, because the screw job is being tied into one of the major storylines of this WrestleMania. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a that's a good observation. There's actually a fan sign near the end here that says, you both screwed Brett. Did you catch that one? Yeah, that um, was good. That's a good sign. And yeah, so here's the two men, uh, you know, in theory, the, the two architects of that whole thing in the ring together. Um, and But now all of a sudden, Sean is the man of the people, and he's here to correct the uh, the offenses of, of Vince. So, I mean, I think this is supposed to be catharsis basically right like it's supposed to be just yeah this this underneath guy just beating the shit out of the evil monster boss um jr describes him as satan-like and morally corrupt on the commentary yeah and it's pretty hilarious because king is telling him to like you you're supposed to be unbiased you're supposed to be nonpartisan. yeah and jr's like kiss my ass on this nonpartisan. i want him to kick his ass <laughs> it's so good yeah yeah, it's interesting. He also is kind of weaving in like sort of the mythology of Vince and the WWE too. He says, um, yeah. the battling boss of the WWE, he's taken on the US government. He's taken on the media giant Ted Turner. Like he's sort of like casting Vince in this sort of epic or mythic 
uh, mold. You know, he's done all these amazing things. Yeah, it's interesting that during this match with with the whole thing is that like Jr. does a little bit of the storytelling, and but like King is actually doing more of the commentary and play by play during this match. I thought that was a really interesting turnaround because like the King doesn't know what to do because I mean it's an interesting spot. McMahon is the super heel, and uh, Lawler is supposed to be more of a heel commentator, but even him is pissed at at McMahon. So McMahon's got no friends in this match. And so Lawler is just kind of quiet and like calling the moves and the shots. And JR's is like fucking blowing off steam <laughs> the whole time. Yeah, because on Raw and stuff, you know, leading up to this, he had humiliated JR as well, making JR kiss his ass as well. And it's a little hard to yeah. maintain your neutrality in that kind of situation. Yeah. And I mean, again, this is a hardcore match because Vince doesn't know how to work. Um, and that's, that's what you do when someone doesn't know how to work is that you just put them in something where you can hit each other with, with frying pans and (laughs) kendo sticks. Uh, I just thought it'd been hilarious if at some point, if like there was someone that was like, all right, McMahon, now if you're going to be an in-ring talent, you're subject to this person's rule. And if someone would have told him that he's too green in the ring and sent him to OVW, how hilarious (laughs) would that be? be Hilarious. Like. Vince McMahon has to show up in OVW and like fight some rookie. I think Roman Reigns is there at this point. So that would have been bust him, bust him (laughs) down to the minors. Yeah. (laughs) Get your ass to the performance center. Um, This, uh, I don't know. So, so they, uh, my wife was still watching this one with me um, and they unveiled the uh, muscle and fitness cover where, you know, Vince is posing and showing off his biceps or whatever. I said, I said, well, I think we know what's happening with that poster before this match. (laughs) It gets too far along, uh, and it doesn't take very much. It gets off to a hot start. Um, Sean tosses Vince and JR's lap on the uh, commentator's uh, table, and JR's mic um, comes undone, (laughs) so you can hear him like fumbling around with it. And uh, Lawler picks up the commentary because he can't; he doesn't have a mic. About that men's fitness magazine cover, JR says, "Hit him in the head with it, then shove it up his ass." All right, Jr. The poster, that's the smash with the poster comes pretty much like right yeah, after that. It's pretty quick. So, um, there's like five male cheerleaders who are obviously wrestling school students who the come out. Squad. The Spirit Squad. I don't remember them. Fuck them. They come yeah. out to, to work on Sean, but Sean beats them all um, with the power of Christ, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, and they refer to Shawn Michaels again as a refined catch-as-catch-can specialist. I caught that, yeah. I don't know where... Or what they're coming at. We're not going to dive into that again. <laughs> but he's not even wrestling in this match. He's just beating the piss out of the boss for like 15 minutes. So let's yeah. not try and call anything technical here. So I get that they're going for the catharsis here, right? And like, but this this goes on way too long and gets yeah. like way too involved. Um, Vince starts bleeding relatively early on, like while the beer squad is out there actually. Well, Vince yeah. comes back and he's clearly cut himself and he just proceeds to bleed uh, gratuitously from the top of his head. Man eats a real chair shot. That, yeah, he does. Oh, my God. Uh, he should have joined that class action suit against WWE for head injury. <laughs> <laughs> he should have sued himself. I can't believe you made me do that. Uh, yeah, that was, yeah. That was a good one. And he eats the edge of the ladder, too, to his head, too. And that's... Yeah. That's when he gets color. I'm, it either happened the hard way or he had already sliced himself once and it just wasn't going. And then he used the ladder shot to to really get the blood pumping. Yeah, because when he hits the, 
the mat after that you can see like it he leaves like a pool of blood from the top of his head yeah um there's a moment before that where um shane interferes and smacks sean with the kendo stick and so you know vince has a little bit of the upper hand and immediately immediately he starts to take his pants down so that sean can kiss his ass and so that um, shane can force sean to to kiss his ass i'm like that is not a thing that a normal person does like he's like doing a little shimmy and he's like got this big goofy shit eating grin on his face and again my wife just said ooh and then of course you know as you would expect sean reverses it and shoves shane's face into his dad's butthole um because this is what passes for entertainment in 2006 yeah, yeah. i don't know yeah, and Shane gets handcuffed to the ring at some point and has to watch his dad get beat up. Let's just get to the two spots here that are great. The two phenomenal okay. spots. Uh, Sean puts Vince in a trash can, lays him on a table, then jumps from the top of a ladder onto the trash can with Vince on the table. EMTs have to come down, supposedly, and Sean won't let them get to McMahon. Yeah, I like that part. And then McMahon eats a super, super stiff super kick right to the chin. One, two, three. Hooray. Hooray. And of course, as they wheel Vince out on the gurney, he uh, puts a middle finger up. So he is battered, but undaunted. He's still got his asshole spirit to, to fly. All right, so the next match on this card is a triple threat match for the World Heavyweight Championship. This is Rey Mysterio versus Randy Orton versus Kurt Angle. Um, I'll start by saying this match has an official theme song by Shinedown. Uh, that's all I have to say about that. Um, the, so the WrestleMania has a theme song by Peter Gabriel, but this match has its own theme song. That's how important it is. I still don't know who Shinedown is, so that's okay. I don't care to Google. <laughs> I don't care either. They sound that sounds like Christian rock to me, and I I have zero interest in that. Yeah, no thanks. But um, so let's see. So how did how did we get here? That's the great question. Uh, Rey Mysterio beat uh, Randy Orton to win the Royal Rumble, and then Ray, um, Randy starts some shit with Ray. He says that Eddie Guerrero is actually in hell, which is pretty harsh as far as uh you know criticisms of your dead friends go that's a that's a stiff jab <laughs> uh yeah there's a lot of edginess with this whole card uh with with things like that whether they're using the montreal screwdrop or this is yet another reference to eddie to garner cheap heat uh I don't like it. I think it's cheap and it's it's more reason why I don't like Randy Orton. Yeah, it's a little bit gross. Um Teddy Long sets up the triple threat player. Um so that's how we know it's going to be good. Uh Ray gets a performance by POD for his entrance. That song was a banger. That was a pretty good song. Yeah, that's his like theme song. So I got to kick out. He comes out on the ramp and he just like walks away, walks away. <laughs> he's just like, where's yeah. it going? And he ends up on up on the stage in like an Aztec warrior headdress. But he's only up there for like 10 seconds and he just kind of stands there and then he comes back down. There's a uh, there's a sign alert that says Randy likes a three way with men. It's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty good. Sick burn, bro. This um, is then, another point where I'm going to point out that the WWE telegraphs finishes very much so in their entrances. <laughs> yeah. Ray is the only one with a live band. I wonder who's going to win. <laughs> yeah. 
There's uh, mixed reactions for Angle, as always. There's cheers, but there's also still a sizable you suck chant. It's interesting. Both he and John Cena, I think, have the sort of similar um, thing where the audience is always like split 50-50 for them, um, which is fascinating. It's a little bit different. Like Cena, they're, they're booing Cena because they're tired of Cena already. They're like, they've had Cena shoved down their damn throats. Like Cena's almost like the Lex Express kind of back in early 90s where they like turn Lex Luger into all-American Lex Luger and put him on a goddamn bus and drove him across the country like a politician, forcing everybody to love him. And... While they didn't do that with Cena, they certainly like force you to watch him nonstop, and they f- and they constantly like don't care if he's getting bad heat or not. He's gonna be a good guy because he's making that money for them. So it's a little different. Angle, I think, is is more of a he's an asshole, but damn, he's talented. I can't help but to like like him but his character is an asshole and so i have to boo him at the same time kind of thing yeah and i think we've talked about you know how much we we sort of missed out on how great kurt angle was because he was so good at being an asshole and so good at being a heel you know you would sort of like watch him uh, begrudgingly you know you know quite realize just how amazing he is in the ring so but this is i'm excited about this one actually i mean i don't like randy orton but i do like Rey Mysterio, and we love kurt angle and i say this actually ends up being one of the better uh triple threat matches i've seen i'm and not usually a fan um they usually end up with you know one guy kind of playing possum while the other two have a match and then it, they, you know they just switch right um but i felt like this one had a lot of energy they really keep the momentum going and there's no real um similar to the ladder match there's not like a whole lot of like kind of people hanging out waiting for the next spot you know no but i mean orton does kind of feel like a third wheel in this match to me just because you have the spectacular work of angle and the spectacular flippy dippy like super fast paced super clean moving movements from ray mysterio and then you just have orton like who's just like a uh, he's just kind of a stand there pretty boy kind of thing. Um, so I just felt like Orton didn't really add anything to this match at all. Yeah, I agree. This could have been a really solid match, maybe an all timer between Ray and Kurt if they had just let him have it, have it straight. So, yeah. um, so <laughs> Orton, um, looks like he's wrestling a kindergartner every time he's in there with, with Ray, which is something <laughs> you have to get used to. <laughs> yeah. It's really hard to get used to how small Ray Mysterio is. Yeah. Um, they do this kind of cool move where they sort of like chain Germans. They do like a chain German suplex, like Kurt Germans, Randy, who's holding on to Ray. And so he, and yeah. <laughs> so Randy kind of like tosses Ray like up and over his head. It's like, um, yeah, it's quite a spectacular, like double German <laughs> suplex, I guess. Like, yeah, like Jesus Christ. Kurt angles is throwing everybody around uh, kind of moment. And it's, it's probably one of the highlights of the match. Uh, my biggest issue with this whole match was the rules of it. So it's a triple threat match. You can't have disqualifications and count outs in a triple threat match. But there's rope breaks and the ref stops Orton from getting a chair. It's technically a no holds barred match. And you have these things happening. And it's just kind of a. So like what would have happened if he counted until five while holding the ropes? The ref can't disqualify him. What happens if Orton hits somebody with a chair? The ref can't disqualify him for it. So it's it's inconsistent with, with that kind of stuff for me, and that bothers me. 
Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. No, this is they're sort of like they're recognizing the rules just sort of by rote, right? Like, uh, there's some. I mean, there's a few good spots. Kurt catches a six one nine and like converts it into an ankle lock. Yeah. Um, similar to uh, Chris Benoit, he, he's able to like take any move from the other guy and uh, and and flip it around into one of his things. Ray had a bit of a botch. He tried to do a really cool six one nine, but using the ring post as a pivot, and he just he doesn't his hands aren't big enough to hold onto the ring post, and you just kind of see him fly off into the sunset for a moment. And then he gets up and he and he uses the ropes and lands it and uh, he makes a great save of it. But it was kind of like, oh, that's going to be oh, kind of <laughs> kind of moment. It's like, oh, yeah, shit, he he's going for it. Yeah, and then, <laughs> he definitely slips off there. And I'll give Angle credit. He actually like stayed in in the right spot then so that Ray could kind of come back up and kick him in the head or whatever he did. Yeah. Um, to sort to sort of recover it, you know? Yeah. So uh, Ray reverses a slam and sort of arm drags Kurt out of the ring and then nails the 619 on Orton. Um, I don't know, you know, so when anybody, when people are wrestling, they never fall on the ropes in that way, except when they're wrestling Ray Mysterio. I don't know what, you know, something in the, in the HVAC system or something in the water, like they just cause them to fall on that middle rope with their arms draped over it, you know, all the time. It's funny you mentioned that because I just finished watching the Stone Cold Sessions with Cody Rhodes and one well, Cody Rhodes is completely insufferable and arrogant through the entire damn thing. He keeps, he keeps looking at the camera and like talking to the camera instead of talking to stone cold. And it's really unnerving. Like, is there a third person in the studio that he's turning to talk to or something? Dusty. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, he's talking to his father. It's going to make him cry. Yeah. He sees the Jedi blue ghost of dusty Rhodes <laughs> in the corner. <laughs> and he's talking to him. Uh, but no, so he mentions wrestling Rey Mysterio in a in like a triple threat match at some point. And before the match, Ray just tells him, do not put your weight on that rope. Do not lean your weight on that middle rope when you're in the position for the 619. And Cody didn't understand that at some point they put too much weight on that middle rope. And the ropes were too far apart for Rey Mysterio to grab them. And so he went flying out of the ring when he tried to do the move. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it's it's actually an interesting thing how, like, the wrestlers need to land convincingly on that middle rope. But they need to keep all their weight on their knees and not on the actual rope to support themselves. Otherwise, the ropes are too far apart for a small little Mysterio to hold on to <laughs> to land the move. I just think it's really heartwarming how he can uh, make this career happen with his... With his uh, diminutive stature. It's pretty spectacular that he's able to make quite a career fighting these guys that are like two and three times his size. And it's mainly just because he's so damn fast and so clean with his moves that I'd imagine a lot of them actually had a hard time working with him because of how good he was, not because of how small he was. Yeah, he's incredible. Um, there's a shot of uh, Ray's kids in the audience after after his win. Did you see that? I did. It was super cute. So Dominic would have been nine at the time, but he looks he's like four or five. So he's always had a baby face, apparently. And his daughter is there, too, and his wife. That was really adorable. Um, and then Taz, of course, has to throw in that the late, great Eddie Guerrero was looking down on Ray. So I guess he's not in hell after all, like Randy Orton said. So moving quite a few steps down, next up is the Tory uh. Wilson versus Candice Michelle Playboy pillow fight oh. match. Oh. Oh. <laughs> so this is one of those things. 
like with Vince pulling down his pants, um, you know, all the time. This is like another another one of those things. It's just really hard to like not be embarrassed by when someone is watching in the room with you, like your wife, for example. So her first question when Candace Michelle came out says, "Why is Latoya Jackson here?" So that was pretty good. And uh, but we were both excited to see that Tori has a very tiny pupper in a tiny top hat, totes adore. It's animal abuse. There's like... some bullshit going on. Tori rubs a dog's butt in Candace's face. The crowd is dead. Like for they don't give a it... shit. It's no. ju- it's it's Chicago and they're into real wrestling and they just want to see wrestling. They don't want to see bullshit uh women in evening gowns not having a pillow fight even though it's billed as a pillow fight. Why can't the WWE sh- just accept the attitude era is over? The crowd doesn't want to see this. The crowd is on fire coming out of that triple threat match and now you feed them Triple H and Cena and destroy that arena yeah with this with this bullshit and it's it's terrible tory wins america loses nobody cares i wrote down at least that the dog is okay we see him at the end he's lost his little top hat but otherwise he seems to be doing okay i literally have two bullet points the first one is shoot me and the second (laughs) one is blank (laughs) okay it's it's what the fast forward button was made for but this main event is not this is a this is a great main event. Um, we've got Giant Cena versus Triple H for the WWE Championship match. Um, they start with a little press conference. I fast forwarded that though. I don't care. Um, but they're as you noted earlier, they're clearly sort of trying to set this up as like the Super Bowl of wrestling, right? So they're trying to lean into the this is real sports. We do press press conferences, see, and then we get to these entrances, and they are magical. <laughs> That's. <laughs> So Triple H is now calling himself the King of Kings. <laughs> He's Jesus Christ, everybody. Jesus Christ. And mm. he shows up in a weird Game of Thrones looking Viking shit throne thing with an oversized sledgehammer, Gallagher hammer <laughs> next to him in the props. And he has two different motorhead themes. One Motorhead song plays for him rising in the throne to the stage. Uh, it's what it's actually a song I think called King of Kings by Motorhead. And then next is The Game by Motorhead. And that's when he actually finally strolls to the ring. It's really stupid. I laughed so hard when he first comes up on that throne. So I think it seems to be like a callback to, uh, you know, like a Conan the King, you know, Conan the Destroyer kind of thing. And, um, you know, he's got these like big furry robes and he's got like the world's cheesiest crown that he got from Spirit Halloween. Um, Everything has an iron cross on it because, again, he's a Nazi memorabilia enthusiast, I guess, just like Lemmy. And so the thing that really sold it to me, though, is like he's sitting there in his Conan throne with his robes and his giant obviously made of foam uh war hammer but in his right hand he's holding a, a little plastic water bottle <laughs> like, <laughs> like they couldn't have even like put it in like a cheesy tankard or something for him like uh bring you know what me I mean? my deer park <laughs> <laughs> the park of deers <laughs> oh it's so funny um I don't, I don't know if John Cena's package uh, was better or worse. So it starts with this like grainy black and white footage, and it's really obnoxious. On this 1930 news tone voice. Talking about how you know times were hard, and uh, only the rich were having a good time, and everybody else was suffering. And these men came along to 
sort of even things out and what if they if they weren't going to get uh you know the respect from from society that they were due then they were going to take it and then they cut to pictures of like al capone and the chicago mob who were (laughs) brutal killers and gangsters they were not men of the people or heroes they were fucking criminals (laughs) Um, so yeah i mean the thing is trying to say that organized crime formed out of the depression like no (laughs) no how many times do we need to watch the godfather and godfather part two and boardwalk empire to understand that organized crime came out of the like the ethno battles in the towns of the immigrants combined with taking away their alcohol with prohibition i guess they're like well wrestling fans must be stupid they don't know anything (laughs) about history we tell them that everybody's poor and broke because it's the depression and say that's where organized crime came from no that's it's not right (laughs) what are they supposed to do with that information you can't get tommy guns anymore what are you you gonna do with that are you are you yeah. trying to tell me then that John Cena is Al Capone's grandkid or something? <laughs> I don't. So, uh, fun fun fact: I uh, my dorm in college there was a there was a dude there whose last name was actually Capone, and he was actually a distant relative, um, which he was very proud of. And I, I don't know how proud I would have been. I mean, I guess it's kind of cool, but. Um, well, so I mean, the, the voice- dude is Scarface, so. <laughs> the voiceover says, whether you loved them or hated them, it didn't matter. They'd sacrificed everything. To survive, you needed three things. And then we cue the big title card with hustle, loyalty, and respect. Because I'm pretty sure that that's what the mob talked about most was hustle back in the day. So then, then this was my favorite part. Um, <laughs> the ramp kind of rolls up. And a 1930s like black sedan comes out with like these actors hanging on the running boards in pinstripes and fedoras and Tommy guns. Um, they look like fucking extras from like if the um, pirates of the Caribbean, you know, casino, if they did like a, a roaring twenties version, they look like that. Um, and they come down to the ring and they like stalk around the ring with their Tommy guns. They're doing a really weird walk. They look kind of like they have like, another Tommy gun shoved up their ass. Like, I don't, I don't understand what is happening. And, uh, I, it's like, Jesus Christ, what the hell is happening? I don't understand any of this. This isn't even the WrestleMania Hollywood one. You know, I, maybe you would have expected the Hollywood. No. Maybe you're trying to, to bring the Chicago heritage in here. And stuff right. Are like they this? trying to know. make Cena feel like the home, home, like home crowd? Is this like another desperate attempt to get Cena to go over by connecting him to the Chicago mafia. Like <laughs> I think they would have had a better, better luck, like tying him to like the sausage King of Chicago and like Ferris Bueller. I, I, I don't like, they could have uh, I, set him up with a, a blues musician lineage from the South side of Chicago. Right. Like he could, he could be Elwood blues like long lost <laughs> son or something, something, yeah. something, more believable than the bullshit they just tried to shove down our throat of and like that's the thing is that like the footage that they're showing too it like jumps back and forth from like the 40s then back into the depression and like and then into prohibition era 20s and it's like none of this is making sense and then then they roll out the car with the dudes in the zoot suits and pinstripes and fedoras and the tommy guns and like uh, and then you, we didn't get even to the point to where when Cena finally hits the ramp, he's holding a Tommy gun and he fires it into the crowd. 
<laughs> yeah, he's wearing a black trench coat and uh, over <laughs> his black shorts. Um, so I guess he looks like a flasher. He does. <laughs> so he's I guess still got he's got his baseball hat on. He's our working class hero here against Triple H, who's a uh, you know the, the son of privilege and the uh, now the son-in-law of privilege and. Maybe I don't know, and even the commentary they're talking about. Oh, you know, John Cena is is, he's a blue collar grunt. They use the word grunt um, versus you know Triple H, born of privilege. But then they switch and they say, well, this is actually an old school versus new school match. Uh, And I don't think they know what the fuck is going on. I certainly didn't know what the fuck was going on. So one, the storyline that they're building is yet another Triple H, where he's rich and privileged, and it's again. Cena's not worthy of holding the title, and he did make that god-awful spinner belt. So they did this with Triple H versus Booker T, and now they do it with Triple H versus Cena. It's all the same fucking story. And it's exhausting that like they just keep they just keep doing this. But this time you can't really convince the crowd of that because like Cena is from Westbury, Massachusetts. That doesn't sound edgy. That doesn't sound hardcore or of lesser privilege. Because people in Chicago are just going to assume, well, it's Massachusetts, that's New England, and Triple H is from Greenwich, Connecticut, that's New England. They're from the same place, and you're trying to tell me one's poor and one is rich? Fuck off. Like, it's not believable. And then Cena rolls to the ring with guns. All right. Do we actually want to talk about the action? Because it's actually, after all that bullshit, it actually turns out to be a pretty damn good match, uh, kind of Maybe surprisingly, I'm not sure. Um, the crowd, again, just continues to be absolutely bonkers. They, they pop for every single move. Um, and the, it's kind of split right down the middle. Some of them are rooting for Hunter. Some of them are rooting for Cena. And, you know, half of the crowd will, will cheer whenever one does something. And then the other half will cheer when the other does something. So it's, um, it's pretty darn exciting. So the big pop that Cena gets coming in is filled with booze as well. And so like there was a conspiracy theory back in the day here that Cena, when Cena would come out, they were pumping cheers into the audience to make it sound like he was a face to drown out the booze. And it really sounded like they did that here. Once the match gets going, we have this like the crowd is 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 overflowing. They can't handle themselves. They can't deal with anything. And, uh, but then there's also a beautiful fuck you Cena chant that happens. <laughs> yeah. Chicago. This match really was a good old fashioned grappling tie down holds punches match. And like the commentary wasn't doing much storytelling in this match either. They were calling a lot more moves and stuff, which I thought was really interesting because you're used to Jim Ross telling you the story of what's happening and what's led to this match and stuff like that. And, but this match, Jim Ross is just calling moves for the most part. And that was an interesting thing. And it really gave it an old school, uh, thing and I think he's partially doing it because they don't know what the hell is going on with the crowd. They don't understand why <laughs> Cena's not getting cheered. They don't understand why Triple H isn't getting booed. They don't understand anything that's happening with this event. They are they are dumbfounded. <laughs> yeah, and you know to be fair to the guys in the ring, they are they are moving like there there's a lot of moves to be called if that's the the route you're going to go. So they actually have a have a good bit to talk about. There's some. Really good exchanges. Cena does a a power bomb and then a slam and then Triple H 
turns around and gives him a spine buster and then a sleeper. And then Cena hits a side suplex and does the pump up the sneakers thing, which I get a kick out of. He does this really nice like drop toe hold into the cross face. His, his is called the STFU. Um, and that's sort of a that's his kind of submission. One of his submission finishers, Triple H, gets to the ropes for that one. Um, the sledgehammer comes in a little bit, but they don't make too much of it, thankfully, because uh, we didn't need another hardcore match after all of the gimmick matches on this card. The sledgehammer thing has always been my biggest gripe with Triple H, actually. is It's like, if you actually hit somebody with a sledgehammer, particularly that sledgehammer that he's wielding all the time, he's going to jail for murder. <laughs> you're going you to kill them you're going to kill somebody with that you're going to smash in their face you're going to crush the bones in their legs and hands and arms so it's not believable whatsoever that you're using that sledgehammer as a weapon to assist you i can get behind a steel chair a cookie sheet hell even a baseball bat but a goddamn sledgehammer are you aware of the damage that that sledgehammer can do to somebody it doesn't make sense it's not a good weapon it's not a good prop for you it also has no bearing on his gimmick right so i don't know it's dumb my only real gripe with this match was that it didn't seem like one person would be in control and then the next person would be in control it felt more like they were just constantly like at a neutral point through the whole match and that's not kind of what i what i enjoy i enjoy a bit more of the needle being swung back and forth instead of the needle just sitting in the middle until someone wins again triple h's pedigree takes too damn long to set up and he paid for it at least he got back body dropped off of it there's there's an old school arm check yes like the ref is like flap slapping his arm and then there's the one arm the two arm and then triple h's arm goes stiff on the third and is shaking the hulk up he hulks up out of it a little bit but nope Triple H eventually taps. I thought that was a great finish. I, I did not a, expect that. It was a that. really great finish. I didn't expect that to be the finish either. And that was really enjoyable. And I liked it quite a bit. Yeah, he gives that that old school hand drop thing. One, two, the hawk up. He goes for the ropes one more time. He's reaching, he's reaching. He's almost there. You're absolutely sure he's going to get it and pull this out. And then he taps. Um, I was legitimately shocked. That was a That was a really incredible finish. All right, so that brings us to the end of WrestleMania 22 from 2006. You want to run down our uh, superlatives and give this thing a rating? Sure. I mean, my best match was Cena versus Triple H. Uh, I thought that was was the best actual wrestling match of the night. It wasn't gimmicked, despite its gimmicked opening. Uh, it had good old-fashioned feel to it. Lots of, lots of good moves, lots of striking and grapples, and a little bit of back and forth, and then a great suspenseful finish to it. And so that makes it the, my best match. Yeah, I, I think I agree. It, it, for me, I think it would be between this one and the triple threat match. Um, but as we were talking about them now, I, I do think the main event is more, is consistently better start to finish. Whereas the triple threat did have some sort of, um, I don't know, some, some laws, maybe the worst match. I'm okay so before are we are we counting the playboy pillow fight bullshit as a match or no i'm not but that's up to you if you want to call it a match or not all right so in that case what's your worst match uh so in my case my the worst match to me was booker t and charmel versus the boogeyman no thank you (laughs) no thank you that was awful if we if we are not counting the the pillow fight thing then yes i would agree that's the worst one if we are counting the Playboy thing as a match, then 
that's an easy one. What about an oh shit moment for you for this show? Uh, well, it's the moment that made me want to call the police. Uh, Ric Flair <laughs> taking a superplex from the top of the ladder. I wanted to put out a silver alert, somebody, and call for a wellness check. Can a police officer please go back to 2006 the next day and make sure that Ric Flair woke up the next day? Can someone please check on him? He's not okay. <laughs> that was... Uh... That's funny. That was, uh, yeah, that was an incredible bump. I, I really thought it was a shoot. Like I, th- I mean, they, they don't throw the X's up, you know, as part of a work usually. Um, so they bamboozled me there, but, and, and then, you know, also then him coming back down to hand out chops, like ice cream cones. Like that was, that was another <laughs> oh shit moment. You're like, I just yeah. saw that man die. I just yeah. saw him die. <laughs> oh. I just saw an old man fly from the ceiling (laughs) down, get carried out, and now he's walking back to the ring. Who does he think he is? Mick Foley? What are you doing, man? What are you doing? I think um, I'm actually going to go with the end of the Triple H versus Cena match, because again, I did not see that coming. That was a legitimately shocking ending, and so I I appreciate that they pulled one over on me. So what would you, um, how would you give this one uh, rating overall for this bad boy? There's so oh. many gimmicks. There's yeah. 11 matches, 11 matches on this card. Only three of those are straight ahead matches with no stipulations or gimmicks. There's three hardcore matches, including the ladder match, plus the inter- intergender handicap match, a triple threat match, a casket match, and a pillow fight, quote unquote, match. It's, it, it gets a little tough. Yeah. So like that, that hurts it for sure. But then when you go back and you look at the non-gimmicked matches and you look at Triple H versus Cena, that was a good match. Trish Stratus versus Mickey James straight up was a good match. The hardcore match of Mick Foley versus Edge, there was some amazing storytelling in that match. And one of those moments to where like he might have won the match. He did not win that, that mentally and he's terrified and scarred for the rest of his life kind of moments that you don't normally see. Uh, Chris Benoit versus JBL was a great match. The Money in the Bank was entertaining, and the opening tag match was decent. And so I think that kind of stuff had me kind of overlooking the gimmicks a bit. And I initially wrote down a four out of five, but also the the shit with the Mickey James single white female stuff that you you helped me see a bit better is making me feel kind of shitty. And I mean, the pillow fight also makes me feel really really shitty because they're still doing that shit. The divas and they like and they pull that shit on Charmel with making her kiss the boogeyman with the worms and then gold dust dressed as Oprah. Like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> The like the whole like freak show thing, you know, I'm going to throw it out there that I am a fan of Howard Stern and I like and the whack pack is very entertaining, but it's not he doesn't exploit them. If anything, they exploit Howard (laughs) for a lot of things, but I feel like the WWE is like kind of like P.T. Barnum in this shit and like exploiting things like that and exploiting uh, women and exploiting uh, different personality issues and stuff like that. Uh, case in point, Eugene, and they, they're still showing it here. And so I think that actually bumps down my initial four out of five rating for this WrestleMania, probably down to about a three. I think, I think it's going to sit in the mid card range here for me. Yeah. I think that's a good rating. I had initially written down 3.5 and for, you know, for a lot of the reasons that there's some stuff here that again, really good. 
really good work, really talented people. And then there's just some stuff that's really stupid and embarrassing and honestly indefensible. And it's the kind of stuff that makes certain people really turn off to wrestling, you know? And like, I feel like the best stuff um, could probably be seen and, and enjoyed by a large majority of the people. But it's the fact that you have to sit through some of this other stuff that makes them be like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm good. I'm not, I'm not a wrestling person, you know, I don't need, uh, I don't need a a guy eating a pile of worms and, um, and making, making a woman eat a pile of worms and, um, and that sort of thing. So, but I, I feel you there. I feel like my wife would actually probably actually start to enjoy watching wrestling. If you didn't need to see that kind of bullshit happening, like she's a, she's a sensitive person and, and a bit of an empath. And so if she sees someone being exploited like that, especially how they exploit the women, it's going to make her not want to watch. And as much as I would like my wife to also watch wrestling with me, I understand that it's just going to hurt her and upset her. And like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want her to have to like watch, uh, that playboy pillow fight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like that's well, not was... really wrestling, hon. Like I, yeah. I, how can I tell her that? Well, that's not really wrestling, but like if we turn on raw and SmackDown during this era, that shit's happening every week. Like we talked about edge and Lita having sex in the ring on Monday night. Raw <laughs> doesn't need to be that way. And they don't need to do that. And I mean, the fans get a little bit of humor out of it, but I think the, the, I don't know. They, I can't, I can't get behind it. I don't understand how people, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to stay with it. And that kind of stuff can really turn you off and turn off a possible new fan, which this WrestleMania is definitely presented as an attempt to get new fans. They're talking about wrestling as it for the people that have never seen wrestling before. Yeah, it's a fascinating impulse to like try to shoot for that mainstream at the same time you're doing a lot of stuff here to alienate the mainstream. So as we do every episode, we like to just take a moment to pay tribute to the men and women that we've seen in this special who are no longer with us. So our in memoriam section for WrestleMania 22 include viscera aka mabel he's in a dark match a battle royal that we actually don't see on the on the peacock same for road warrior animal he's in a dark match in the battle royal howard finkel mean gene okerland fern Ganya, sensational sherry martell blackjack mulligan blackjack lanza william refrigerator perry eddie guerrero who's seen in his posthumous hall of fame induction and chris benoit So that'll do it for today's episode. As always, you can find us on the web at allthewrestlemanias.com. You can send us emails at allthewrestlemanias at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at WrestlemaniaPod. And of course, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram where we post lots of fun content for your entertainment. So for now, I'm Tim. And I'm Rich Sigwald. And we're signing off saying so long, everybody. So long, everybody.